Hello, I'm Colin Gilchrist, CEO and founder of Union Kitchen. And this is Food Founders, stories from launch to scale. In this episode, we speak with Luis Solis, CEO and co-founder of Curry Bay Juice. Disappointed with the lack of exotic juice offerings, Luis launched Curry Bay in 2015 to bring the flavors of the Dominican Republic to the U.S. market. Committed to owning his own manufacturing, Luis, in 2017, opened his own facility in the Dominican Republic. Fast forward to 2020, Curry Bay acquires Watermelon Water, a national brand, in an acquisition that could only be made possible by its impressive manufacturing infrastructure. Since then, Curry Bay has grown throughout the country through Curry Bay Juice, Watermelon Water, and private labels. So I'm, I'm Luis. I'm originally from the Dominican Republic and grew up there and then moved to the U.S. to go to college in Miami and one of the things I really missed um, moving into the U.S. was drinking fresh juice, particularly passion fruit juice. I grew up drinking it every single day, and then I'm moving to the U.S. I had to get used to the world of processed and juices and beverages. And, and yeah, fast forward a few years, once I started a business and decided to, to, to bring in the flavors of home and and to the United States in fresh form and or as fresh as possible. So I started Kariba and, and the concept of Kariba was bringing in um, tropical flavors that were popular among a lot of um, com- communities in the U.S., particularly like Hispanics and Asians and, and uh, people that grew in the tropics and, and bring them in fresh form. And that's how Kariba was born. And today we're kind of far from that but um, we have that line and uh, the Kariba line with um, um, several tropical flavors and we have a line that we just acquired and um, cold watermelon water very long story but um, um, we're very excited about um, having that brand and then we also do some uh, private label products and um, for um, particularly and, and other smaller clients and finally we have another line that we um, launched not too long ago called Origin, um, which is a line of um, 100% fruit and vegetable juices and shots and that have right now limited distribution. So right now, Caribe is producing basically uh, four lines of product. You've got yeah. the Caribe, Origin Exotic, uh, Watermelon Water, and then you're doing private label. Yes, exactly. Just to kind of dive into one of our themes that we talk a lot about is for business to be successful, the founder has to find the really the middle ground between their passion and what the market wants. Um, and so obviously you talked about your passion for juice and you also talked about people like juice, but in particular, they like your juice. Have you found kind of that idea of, of that middle ground to be true in, in your business? Yeah, I think that's, that's something that never stops happening, right? Like you, you start with a, idea and i think our, our example is the perfect one we started with our concept of Caribe and my passion was bringing flavors from home and you kind of find market gaps and and have to be open to what the market wants and a big part of that is learning when you start off it's impossible to know that and you got to learn you got to be open to opportunities and clearly where we are today is very far from where we started and we've through time figure out the right middle and you you never kind of have the the perfect answer but you are always trying to like figure out that middle so it's, it's all about filling gaps and in the market and making sure that you're solving problems you're bringing people what they want and, and adjusting and 
your your products to and what people are looking for. Small things like sizes or, or flavor yeah. are so important. And if you don't want jobs, if you stick to what you're passionate about and, and stick to just the things that you won't, you believe in without looking at what people are looking for, it's 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 not gonna work. It, it's it's a recipe for failure. So so yeah, it's yeah. it's something that we're constantly looking looking for, and and I, I think we've we're we're close, and but but um, it's a never ending struggle to find the the middle between passion and, and market gaps. And an example is right now we're kind of reinventing Caribe to a larger serving size at uh, 52 ounces as we and figure out that that's like the market that we were the targeting with with that line is actually the consumer that is looking for multi-serving or actually have been purchasing multi-serve options so so yeah that's why i say like we're still figuring that out and, and it's time and and flexibility and openness to new ideas that, that helps helps you kind of get there yeah absolutely so I love I love that uh, kind of story. Um, kind of again with the theme, you know, we started the passion, and we're trying to find where it meets the market. Um, you, you had a passion uh, for kind of different juices, and you've learned maybe some that didn't work. I know my favorite was the uh, the passion fruit <laughs> with the seeds in it. What uh, <laughs> what uh, what's an example of something that you were passionate about that you thought was slam dunk that you know the markets kind of taught you otherwise and there's been a lot of those and and i think the quickest example that comes to mind is just the the caribe line like i think our initial concept so we when we started we had four flavors it was yeah. 12 ounce or actually it was 16 ounce when we started and caribe and products it was cold pressed juice and and literally how we made in the dr with fruit sugar and yeah, we started with that. And I think through time, we changed that so much. First of all, first off, we realized that added sugar was something that people were running away from. We switched from that to juice. And then things like you mentioned, like we had a passion fruit with seeds. Like people are not used to drinking seeds in their, in their, in their drinks. So we got rid of that. And it was an operational nightmare to deal with that. So we were adding something that people were actually not even valuing or actually valuing negative negatively and and then the, the last thing that we've kind of figured out which is it's it's crazy it took us so long to figure out but it's we didn't get the size wrong right like if we're targeting hispanics we're targeting multiculturals and you look at the juice market 70 to 80 percent of juice market is multi-serve and it's um, actually in the dairy aisle and hispanics are are buying and larger sizes like simply and when you look at the market yeah. or the top selling tropical juices or Walsh's passion fruit and naked and mighty mango in 32 or 64 ounce so like we didn't get the size right and i think a big part of that is because as when you start you're so focused on what's in front of you we were at whole foods that was who gave us an opportunity it was a natural market but that wasn't our target and so so yeah i think it's it's that's the biggest example i, I can tell you another thousands of, of other examples but that's it's a pretty big one because it's what we started with and now we're kind of like completely recreating it and we're in a place where we're very we never thought we would be i think that's a really interesting thing around the multi-serve we've seen that with a handful of other companies as they've grown they find out that you know the market 
uh, is responding differently than when they thought of the product. So when you thought of it, you're like, hey, I want a juice. You know, I want like a, yeah. a nice bottle or a cup of juice. And, it, you know, as, as the company matures, as, as you mature, you realize that people are going to grocery stores, they're buying for families, they're buying for yeah. people, they're buying for the week. And multi-serve is a, is a massive opportunity. Exactly, exactly. That's cool. I'm excited you're launching uh, that product. Yeah, yeah, no, we're excited as well. I think that's looking at, at data on, on, on other companies, like it's, it's, it's a big opportunity. And, and we were really, it's funny because we were right at the beginning. There's, an, uh, there's a gap in the market of, of people like myself that grew up in, because when you grow up in the tropics, you don't grow up with apple and berries. You grow up with passion fruit and guava, right? And, and there's, yeah. there's that market in there. We just had to figure out and, and, how to get it in the in, in front of them and into a, a product that they would actually buy. And we looked at data and there's a lot, a lot of opportunity there. Hundreds of millions of dollars of those tropical flavors that are being sold right now, which is it's it's very exciting for us. Yeah, I agree. So jumping back and, and I want to get some just details on you. Uh, what what's your current title, Luis? Current title is um, um, CEO and co-founder. Makes sense. <laughs> You've been able to maintain your position. That's good. What do you find yourself focusing on right now? That's a hard question, but um, I, I like your top three, four responsibilities. Yeah. So, so yeah, for me, it, just to give you a little heads up. So I'm the CEO and founder, right, of Union Kitchen. Uh, what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about how do I double the size of the company in terms of revenue and value. And I'm thinking about how do I manage the four people that report directly to me? And you know, that's the simplest way I think about it. Is there kind of a, a, a short version of like the, the handful of things that you're most focused on as CEO? Number one thing for me at this stage, you have to adapt. If, if as a CEO, I, I'm not able to adapt and I should be out. And so, yeah, I, I came from having to do a lot of the actual smaller stuff myself and like literally like doing demos and doing and production and using pictures to fill bottles and and using ninja blenders to blend fruit and and so now I'm I'm really had to focus on building the team, the leadership team. We have hired a pretty amazing team and that we're very, very excited about. And right now my focus, my number one focus is is building that team, making sure that they're empowered, making sure that they're supported, making sure that they're communicating right, that they're flowing together. And so that's number one. And then number two, one thing that, as you know, Colin, you can never get out of is um, capital, right? Like you, all, you, I always have to make sure that the company has um, enough financial resources to be able to, to pursue the goals that we're, we're setting. And then the number three thing that, also, you can never get out of is sales and marketing. And I'm always like still managing relationships, even though we have several people in our sales and marketing team and managing relationship with some, some um, of the major clients and, and also working very closely with the sales and marketing team, getting involved in the strategy and making sure that, that we're, we're diversifying our, our, our revenue streams and, and are looking at sales and marketing in a very aggressive M way. And as, as you know, we're started with trying to get to a hundred million very quickly. So 
So, so yeah, that's the, I, I would say those are the main three main things that I'm focusing on day in and day, in and day out. Yeah. Yeah. It's never uh, a simple answer, but um, hopefully, you know, it becomes more simple <laughs> and more. Yeah. yeah exactly. Over time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's my goal. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. And it, it actually sounded, after I said it, sounded more simple than I thought. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I'm getting there. That That's encouraging. <laughs> well, I think it's one of those important things. We did this together last year. And uh, I did this, you know, for myself as well. It's just like, draw the org chart. Um, and how do you make a simple org chart? And you've done a nice job of that. And, you know, I've been working to do that too. I think that's critical to being yeah. the CEO of a growing company. Yeah. Hundred percent critical, and cool. and not in a way where where I think it's very critical to make sure that no one has twenty people or ten people under them, right? It's it's in a way where where you have certain number of direct reports that can that you can actually manage and dedicate time to, and yeah, drawing that org chart and making sure we're 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 in a unique opportunity and, and where we can fill in holes and at very low prices, you know, Colin. So so we're we're. We're very fortunate to have an org chart that that we can actually fill out and almost act like a, like we're a bigger company than we actually are, and which it's a very very nice luxury for a startup. I want to talk a little about manufacturing. So, just first question, it's an easy one. Do you manufacture your own product? Yes, we do manufacturing, and we also use a co-packer in Connecticut. Gotcha. So you have your own factory. Um, tell me a little bit about that factory. Like, how big is it? What do you, what can you make, and maybe how much capacity you have beyond what you're currently making? That's almost like a different parallel story to our brand story. But um, we built a very small factory in 2017. It was initially a 7,000 square foot facility, and now we are. We are up to twenty-five thousand, and, and we're actually looking to. We're actually in the next couple of months, and um, we might go up to forty something thousand, forty-five. And we're looking to get the space right in front of us that opened up, and and our current facility. We have the ability. It, it's a tricky. The capacity question is a tricky one because it depends on what we're manufacturing. As mentioned before, we have different lines of products, so might have capacity to make hundreds of million shots but not um, 12 ounces or 52 ounces right but um we're currently like around 60 percent capacity and and capacity it's funny because like with a startup and you probably can relate to this colin like you have your theoretical capacity which it's like three shifts working all these hours but clearly, like it's really hard to get there. Like companies take years to be able to develop the structure to actually be able to be efficient with them and operating at full or near full capacity. So, so even though we're we're probably at thirty percent capacity, we feel like at our stage we're we're like at sixty percent capacity to manufacture in a way that we can like actually control production and have the right measures and right quality and, and, and measures in order to ensure product safety and quality of product. Why did you decide to build the factory, uh, the first one? What what caused you to want to build that factory? We couldn't figure out how to manufacture and in the US, at, at, so we, we were a US-based business and we couldn't figure out uh, the right co-packing partner 
which is, I think, one of the major struggles for startups in the food and beverage business. It's hard to find partners and that that will care about your product when you're so small. It's a volume business. So when you're selling a couple hundred thousand dollars, you're no one to anyone. And for us, particularly being in such a new industry, which is the HPP beverage industry, it was even tougher because there weren't a lot of options. And so, yeah, we were faced with a situation where we just couldn't figure out production. And when you can't figure out production, you can't even think about sales and marketing, growing a brand. So we came to the decision that we were going to continue to do this. We got to figure out a way to own our own production. And it was a very scary decision to make. But once we started looking at, at the potential of, of owning a factory and the, effect, the cost efficiencies that we could achieve building our own factory and owning our manufacturing, it wasn't hard um, and to go that route. And that completely changed. Um, once you have your own factory, you're, you're a completely different business than when you're just building a brand. Yeah, that's great. So, so would you say it was a good decision uh, to go the route of building a factory and owning your main? Oh, yeah. yeah, it's it's funny because like when I started the the when I started the business, my mentor was uh, my ops professor at University of Virginia, where I got my MBA, and he had actually started a juice company, and he was the one that introduced me to the HP technology and how it maintained and the freshness of the product. And his number one advice to me was, do not build a factory. Like, we're, we did that, made a mistake. We're stuck with like $15,000 a month in rent, even more in leases of equipment. And it just puts so much more pressure on the brand. So when I started, I had that in my head and I was like, I would never go that route. So I really tried not to go that route. And, and honestly, like, it, it was the best decision we, we could have made. And I, I think it goes back to our, our, our our conversation about like adjusting and making sure that you're open to opportunities because honestly like that changed our business a hundred percent and without without that decision we would be out of business right now so that's a good decision i think that's awesome i think when when you can own your manufacturing you're creating advantages for your current business but really for your future business because someday you're gonna you know grow and the worst thing you'd want to be is to grow and realize that you're at a massive disadvantage to the larger brands that are making their product that can iterate and make it better fast. And if you are, in fact, the one with that advantage, now you have a chance to beat really everyone else who's kind of at your class. And yeah. I think it's where you sit today. It's why you, you know, in large part, why you're able to you know, make the deal with watermelon water and yeah. why you're poised for success from here. Yeah. Yeah. It's literally our business. Is because of the factory, like watermelon water, and is ninety five percent of our business today, and that's literally because of the factory. But I think it's 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 really, I think it, it's a case by case thing. I think for us, it, it was a smart decision. And reading a book of honesty for them, it wasn't a smart decision. For the company of my professor, it wasn't a smart decision. So it it, it really it, it like you're a hundred percent right. Like in the future, it definitely is the right thing to do because that it's like how you can compete on price but like it's a hard hard inflection point when one to realize that it's the right decision and it's case by case it depends on on what co-packers are able to offer and the industry you're in how hard it is to build a factory how expensive it is 
how easy it is to build capacity because like the, the, there's pros and cons right so 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 yeah it's, it's it was the right decision for us and i think longer term it's the right decision for most players but it's not as easy as saying that everyone should try to build their own factory right and and you know that and yeah it's it's <laughs> that's well, hard yeah it, it's hard and i think uh there's pros and cons of things being hard. I think the yeah. cons are obvious. When it's hard, well, it's hard. That makes it harder. Yeah. But I think the pro of things being hard is that if you figure it out, you now have this tremendous yes. advantage and this tremendous moat around your business because yeah. the thing about hard things is others are going to have a hard time too. They're not as tough or resilient or persistent as you are, then they might give up on that path. And so you've got this nice little kind of defense uh, and this moat around your business, which which I love. I 100% agree with that. And it's such a true, true statement. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was trying not to say the hard thing about hard things because I know. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of it. And I think it's good. Anyways, I think about that with Union Kitchen all the time. How can we find the hard things that make sense, do them, and be successful? And, and I think yeah. if we keep pulling that off, we'll, we'll, we'll do well. Yeah. So I have a couple of questions. I want to talk about sales. I want to talk a little about capital. I want to roll up with like, you know, advice for, for folks, but just on sales, your first sale is always a hard one. That's the story we always hear. Uh, tell us about how you got into your first store. It happened so long ago, but, um, um so funny with sales. Like it, I think sales is, is something that, so many people starting off, and I've seen it with a lot of entrepreneurs that I talk to, like, you're so nervous about your first sale, like, you want to be so prepared and and think it's, like, this big thing. And actually, our first sale was, like, dropping in. I dropped in at a local store in Charlottesville, Virginia. It's called Feast. It's, like, a small supermarket independently owned. I was just like, give me a shot. <laughs> and I actually came, I, I came prepared. Like th that's how it ended up. I came prepared with like a pitch of why like my product's better than others and this and that. And then what ended up being is like, like give me a shot. And they were like, yes. And they didn't care about any of the, <laughs> of the reasoning behind and why our product is better than the others. And, and, and it's so funny because when you start, it's, it's, it's really about getting like sales. It's about, just going to local places that are willing to to give new products a shot. There's a lot of those, and that's how we got our first sale. And, and yeah, like once you scale, it's a different story, right? But but that's that's how you start, yeah. And, I, and that was her first first store, a small mom and pop shop in in Charles Charlottesville, Virginia. Yeah, I think that's great, and I think kind of what you were saying around sales is this kind of scary, hard thing at first. And of course, where you are now, sales is just it's it's what you do you know you're you're always selling it's a really big hurdle for a, a founder and entrepreneur to get over at first to kind of have the the courage to go into a store and say hey i'm luis i've made this awesome thing and you should buy it yeah yeah and that's so simple for you or me to say now but you <laughs> know five six you know eight years ago terrifying oh yeah yeah you're, you're 100 percent right it's it's so terrifying and, and it's what I think one of the biggest hurdles, like you said, of entrepreneurs and honestly, like through the time you realize how how simple it is and but but yeah, it's it's something 
that whenever I talk about that, it's just get out there and just get out there. Like, don't even think about it. You don't even have to be that prepared. Get out there. It's, it's, it's a human that you're talking to. And, and especially like initial sales, like people are like want to help. People want to help. So it's, it's all about getting out there and, and talking to people and you'll get a shot. Yeah. Do it. You know, yeah, exactly. Just do it. Yeah. Just do it. And you know, what's the worst that happens? Honestly, I think the worst that happens is they say no and they tell you why they're saying no, which just goes into your, your process for making a better product. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. A hundred percent. The worst thing that yeah. can happen is really one of the best things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. How many stores are you in right now across all four of those different products you're making, including the private label? It's going to sound scary when I say it, but uh, over 10,000 stores. There we go. You can't count those uh, very easily. That, that's oh, pretty no, that's, Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, yeah. So we're in 2021. You have 10,000 stores. What was your first year and how many did you end that first year with? So first year, the story I just told you about getting into that first store was August 2014. And we were in one store then. And I think by year end, we were in 10 stores. And so, yeah, 10 to, to 10,000 seems like a, like a small jump, right? <laughs> a thousand X. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Let's, we can jump into investment because I, I know you have yeah. a bit of uh, experience with that. And I think investment is similar to sales in that uh, the, the first investments can be so hard because you have to ask and like, you know, yeah. you might get rejected. And I think similarly, maybe the worst thing that happens is you learn why they won't invest. So yeah. you've raised a, a bit of money. I think you've, you've done more than one round. Yeah. So how many rounds of investment have you gone through? Four rounds. And four four rounds. rounds, yeah. What was kind of your, your, your first investor and um, what was that like? Was it easy? Was it hard? Did you have to talk to a, a million people or did you just have to talk to one? It's funny that you compare investments to sales. It's, it's very similar. You talk to a lot of people and it's a lot of no's or a lot of no responses. And, and the first outside investor and non-founder was the investor that we got for the PR. And once we built our, our factory in the Dominican Republic, and that was, it, it didn't end well. It was just not the right thing. And, and it's, we were looking for money and we took whatever money came and, and, and we figured it out and now we're good. But and, and it was not the right fit. They wanted something very different than what we wanted and as a company, and, and it ended up in uh, yeah, that was the first outside investor that we got uh, back in 2016, actually. Yeah. Gotcha. So two years. Yeah. I think uh, for Union Kitchen, our first outside investment was two years after we started. Oh, and, yeah. You know, we, we probably put more money in to uh, encourage our growth probably every you know, 18 to 24 months is kind yeah. of been the program. Yeah. yeah. I think what, what, one thing that, and I know we talked, we moved into investment. One thing that's important to mention, Colin, is sales and investment both. Like, like when, when we talk about 2014, 10 stores to 20, 21, 10,000 stores, that wasn't, that wasn't a linear growth. You know that. 
and there were there were years where that went down there were years where that was zero so it really is a story our story and i think it's different for a lot of different entrepreneurs but one that you will see a lot um, is a story of persistence and story of sticking through tough moments and and just um understanding that it's not always the same for everyone and and a lot of the cases of entrepreneurship that you see out there you only see here are the good go, the good parts of the story but um it's it's really about persistence and understanding that sometimes you didn't get it right understand same with investments understanding sometimes you're not reaching the right investors and you're getting a lot of no's because you're just not pitching it right or or not reaching the right crowd so so it 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 really and i just want to mention that i know it, it kind of crosses investment and, and sales it's it's really about figuring it out staying persistent staying positive and being open to pivot and kind of reinvent your ideas and and pitches through feedback and all that it's it's never about being perfect right it's it's, yeah. it's exactly the opposite of that right so so yeah just wanted to mention that yeah and i think that's great you, you know the way i think about it is if you are smart enough and you have a good enough product and you're passionate about that product and the market agrees and they want it all of that gives you the opportunity to go through the hard part yeah. <laughs> that all gets you to the hard part where you have to be tough yeah persist through whatever it is maybe it's bad luck you know maybe it's maybe it's just that's the industry maybe competitors you know are, are cut into your market that gets you to the hard part, and that's where I think an entrepreneur has to really um, show their mettle. Yeah, succeed. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And you've certainly done that. I mean, yeah, it's not a linear uh, from 2014 to yeah, not at all. 2021. Um, it's been up. It's been down. I think we both feel good about it right now, but there's there's still a lot of hard parts. Ahead. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. It's the same with investment, right? It's 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 not. I got that in 2016, but it took it took a lot of no's and a lot of talking to 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 um, investors in 2015 and getting all no's, literally all no's, uh, or come back later or come back when when you're this size um, to get that. So that's why I mentioned it because it's not like 2016 and in January we wanted to look for money and in February we got the money. It, it doesn't work like that at all. Or or even even the six months that people tell you like oh it should take six months sometimes it takes a year and a half so so yeah like yep. it's something that 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 it's it's interesting how how much how much you hear about persistence and then once you experience it how much you learn that it's really about persistence and about and sticking through it and and like you said believing in what you have and and what you can do and being open to evolving your your ideas and concepts yeah and, and your yeah. A hundred percent, man. Well, so let's wrap up with, with one last question. And this is, I think, an appropriate last question because it's a big one. Um, <laughs> if you can concept, what's your goal for Caribe? You know, do, do you want to sell this company this year? Do you want to build, you know, a million square feet of manufacturing? Uh, what is your goal, period, for Caribe? My goal, that's another thing that has changed through the years. And it keeps changing. Like it's it's a hard question to answer. I'm the type of person that I'm really living day to day and seeing things day to day. And I have my goals, but my day to day mindset that means that my goals are constantly changing. Because as you see up new opportunities, as you see 
opportunities to pivot, opportunities to create new products, opportunities to expand your facility, opportunities to partner up with a, now that you're a bigger size, partner up with a co-packer, like it, it all changes. So, so I think overall, like the goal, the goal is to grow and to grow and as much as we can. We do believe that we can be over a hundred million in a company that sells over a hundred million worth of products and probably like way more than that. But that's the goal that we have in our mind right now for three to four year goal where we want to get to, to, to that range. And honestly, like the, the reason I started this, and I know I haven't talked about this so much is um, I wanted to make an impact in developing uh, Dominican Republic, uh, which is where I'm from. And, that's where the model that we built, it's really nice because it's the more revenue growth that we have, the more impact we'll make and the more and our big our, our big mission is to help out small farmers over there. And, and the best way to help them is to buy fruit from them. And we've grown that quite a bit. And we started with zero farmers and now we're, over, we're working with over 100 farmers. Creating employment is something that I'm always proud of. It's, it's one of the best feelings in the world when you know you're creating employment, especially in a place where unemployment is so high. And especially during a time like COVID, right? Like where, where a lot of people have their jobs. So, so yeah, when I think about all the small pieces of what drives me, and helping our farmers, creating employment, developing our own employees, having a big impact to consumer, it's all measured in a way by revenue and, and, and the people you're reaching numbers of products that you're buying, the amount of fruit that you're purchasing. So, so yeah, that's why I, I tie my goals very much with revenue. And, and I think we, we can be over a hundred million revenue in a few years. And once I get there, I'll see what will be the next goal. But I, I kind of have stuck myself to thinking about that goal and not wait to pass that. And, but that might change in a couple months. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. That's how, how I'm seeing our goal and what we're trying to do. And, and we've had a pretty good growth in the past couple of years, and we're, we're, we're hoping to continue that. Yeah, I hope you achieve your, your financial goals, which help you achieve all of those kind of social goals of, of creating industry and exports and jobs and yeah. supporting farmers. And you get the opportunity to expand that goal. <laughs> That's what I'm yeah. thinking. Is how do I take my goal now and, and uh, you know, blow past it and kind of set exactly. a, a set of goals? Exactly. Exactly. Very cool. Well, we can wrap up with that. Thanks, Luis. Thanks, man. Always good to chat. Thanks for listening to Food Founders. If you liked today's show, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you next time on Food Founders, stories from launch to scale.